Hi, I am Kendall Rawls, Director of Development with the Rawls Group, Business Succession Planners, and I'm here to welcome you to How to Future-Proof Your Business Conversation Series. So often, we see a next-gen family member chosen as a successor and plopped into the corner office with the assumption people will fall in line and they will rise to the occasion. But sadly, these situations don't work as hoped without some intervention. In this episode, Pete Thiel with Hake Partners and the Rawls Group succession planner, Champ Rawls, discuss what it will take for up and coming leaders and potential successors to succeed now and into the future. Champ, from a dealer's perspective, would you encourage them to have their children become dealer owners? Um, I deal with this every day. Uh, and I think, you know, really, you know, knowing that you're in a, in a car dealership, um, understanding the buy sell part of this as well. The thing that I always look at when um, a family member has been chosen as a successor or we get this question is, what is the plan? What is the purpose? Um, I think there are just so many times that I see, uh, you know, children who are chosen to be the successor. There's no plan. There's no purpose with it. There's no um, discussion of how it's going to occur. They just plop them in the seat and um, say, go take it. And it rarely works out well. Um, the last two weeks, I've been in several places where we've had to go in and essentially create the plan for the children to be viable successors and literally just even create the plan for them to be on a successor train. And I think that um, if they can come with a plan, how they're going to get there, what they're going to do, what is the time frame, I think encouraging children to come up in the business just like anybody else is uh, an amazing thing because it provides for the legacy. Um, and, you know, this industry is created off that. And so, um, yes, uh, that's a roundabout way answer for me to say what I do all the time, what we like to see uh, occur is children, um, family members who succeed into the next generation. And I don't, I don't know if that's what you see or what you've seen in your uh, past with what you guys do, but um, what are your thoughts? Thanks, Champ. Uh, first, I, I think it really depends on the individual, of course. We have a lot of dealer friends that have a child or children that have decided to pursue other opportunities, other join other industries, and sometimes that's a sexier industries such as technology or banking. We also have lots of dealer friends who have children in the business and who are very successful at it. A lot of it depends on the personality of, of your children. If they are outgoing and energetic, they will probably thrive in the sales driven organization such as auto retail. As far as the future goes, we really believe that to remain successful, dealers are going to have to grow and get bigger or get out in order to become competitive with some of the large consolidators that are that are growing across the country. So kids in the future may have to have a slightly different profile than the past. Not only are they going to have to work hard like today as they do today, they may have to invest their entire net worth into growing 
a, a group of one or two stores into five, seven, 10, or even 15 stores in order to compete with the big guys. So this, this means that they're going to have to be less caretakers of the business in the future, and they're going to have to be more of an empire builder, so to say. This is going to mean less focus on the day-to-day operations, less, less focus on the month-to-month profits, and it's going to require a more of a strategic look going forward, more of a focus on long-term objectives and buying stores and building out a group. So this presents a huge opportunity for dealers' children. If they have the intelligence, if they have the drive, if they have the energy, they can really build an incredible group of stores that may be even more successful than what their parents have built today. I would agree with that. And I I think the... um what you said there was 100%. It really does depend on the individual because uh, as you and I both know, what you just said is not easy and it is a lot of risk and that is not for everybody. And so whether it is the, um, you know, you got to grow or get out mentality um, or some form of that, I think the, um buying into that part of, you know, it's not the mom and pops anymore. Um, and you can just sit there and sit at the front desk and, you know, watch your customers come in. This is going to become, um, really hard to do and be good at it. Um, I think goes back to, uh, again, what you said, it's the individual. So I think if you have the right individual, if you have the right plan, everything is possible. So what about how does a, a dealership compete, a dealer group or a dealership, and um, Pete, I'll start with you here, um, when they don't have qualified, if they're looking at their family for the next-gen legacy and they don't know who the successor could be, how does an organization, but they still kind of want to keep it in the business, how do they continue to compete? What are their options? Well, I think uh, a dealer in that case would have to look to an operator that they trust and potentially have worked with over the years. Uh, We know all sorts of of dealers who are technically out of the business and don't show up day to day to the the stores. They, They hire a trusted operator who just absolutely runs the stores day to day. So we see that very, it's very common across the country. And we see that all the time with with a number of our dealer friends. I would also add to that, that I say this all the time, you know, if the goal is to grow, look at how many family members are in your family, because, um, you know, once you get to the uh, 10 plus stores, generally there's not you know, 10 kids. And so you can't have a family member in every store. So once you uh, realize that and you, you do what Pete, you just said there and go, all right, I got to figure out who I trust, who can run these things. Um, any type of structure from a family ownership standpoint can work. And I mean, there's thousands of car dealerships around, so there's definitely thousands of different ways of doing this. Uh, But I think it does start with trust. And I think it also goes into the, you know, when you're looking at these uh, trusted operators, do you go into the, 
you know, age old theory of skin in the game. Um, you know, do you bring these guys, these girls, whomever into, um, partners so they also have the skin in the game like you do of every dollar in every dollar out another thing to add there is we we, we also see dealers appoint a, a, an operator who focuses day to day and then a lot of times there's there's still a family member in the background maybe not working day to day but they get involved in more of the strategic uh decisions such as buying another store or investing in facilities, buying another property. So that seems to be very common as well, where a family member is involved more from a strategic standpoint versus day-to-day operations. Well, and I, and I hate to say it again, but, you know, operating a store is hard work. It's not for everybody. If you have the right individual um, who happens to be a family member, more power to you. But um you know, that that takes a certain DNA to be successful in this day and age, the hours, the um, just the comp- competition. And so to the point that you just said there again, the, the strategic planning is a um, less physically demanding, maybe more mentally challenging, but can be funner um path of growing what you currently have rather than squeezing as much possible out of what you know is something hard to squeeze i always like to go you know nada average before um um covid you know was 2.5 percent net to sales like that's terrible if you really think about it in regards to how much effort it takes to make two and a half percent so whatever three, 4% now, it's hard. And um, it's a lot of hours and a lot of work, Um, but I think it can be rewarding. But if you also go to the other side of the strategy, you know, it's how many more of those can you do to just um, increase the the size of the, the pie? Champ, can you share strategies or in terms of having to professionalize the family business to more of a business family and compete, what are some of the strategies to professionalize the business, including, for example, board of directors and some of the um, uh, strategies that we help dealers put in place? I'll start from the bottom. I mean, I think it starts, it's so esoteric if you think about it or, or even stupid, but do you have job descriptions? Do people know what they're doing? Do they know how they're doing it? Do they know... Uh, what they're paid for. Do, do you have an actual mission, vision, values? And when I say values, it's why is um, this person going to go buy, buy the car from me rather than my competitor? And why are our employees going to work for me rather than a competitor? So um, I say those things because I think the, um, you know, the family business what, what we walk into are the ones where all of these structural things that seem so easy to do, there's nothing in place. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows how they're getting paid. And so taking it from that to a business family from the ground up um, just creates alignment. And um, if it sounds cliche, it is, but everybody rowing the same way in the boat. And that's what gets you from two and a half percent net to sales to five, because people have a purpose. They know what they're doing. 
Um, and at the end of the day, it turns it into a business that might have family involved, but is driven by business principles, not by we're just going to give a job to anybody who has the same bloodline as us. Maybe, champ, maybe to uh, add, add something to that, I think it's important for dealers, just as you mentioned, to set up standardized processes. And I think a good way to maybe think about this is if you have one or two stores, it's it's pretty easy to operate those stores without standardized written processes. Of course, if you want to professionalize those stores, you should invest the time, just as Champ mentioned, to develop these processes, put everything in writing and so forth. I think a good way to think about it is if you were to have 10 stores, just think how easy, much easier it would be to run those stores if you had everything in writing. You want the FNI group to operate within this box and have each of your stores operate within this box. Now, you got to remember, this is still a very entrepreneurial business, and you want to let each store kind of do their own thing to some extent. But this will certainly professionalize your operations by creating these standardized processes, and it might be much easier to operate more than one store in the future if you were to grow into that size group. Well, and I, I know it's what you see. It's, you know, going for, I think the hardest purchase that I've seen, and it, it's funny, but when you, but is going from one to how many ever next stores you've got, because it's the unknown. You've never done it before. It's new people, uh, the manufacturer. It's just, it's like pulling teeth. Um, and I always go, once those people who have bought that next store sit down and breathe and go, okay, let's do it again. I'm like, okay, well, just imagine going from two to four and then four to eight and the problems metastasize. If you, uh, if you don't have those things, you can't be everywhere at once. And I think the, you know, that's the business of it. That it is, let's put these things in place so that these stores become assets that you can have 16 um, if you do it the right way. And it doesn't, make problems more problems it creates the standardized way that um you know we're going to do things and that goes back to we haven't really talked about it on here but you know the culture but you know what are your stores what when you walk in what do people see and i think that goes again back to taking it from a family business approach which um is the spectrum we're not trying to promote here to the business family of these are non, non-negotiables the way we do things. Pete, if a dealer is looking to grow, how many stores should they have today versus in the next three to five years in order to compete with the consolidators? We don't think there's a magic number. Certainly, if you have a Porsche store today anywhere across the country, or if you have a Toyota store in a single point market, you're going to be successful for a long, long time. But I, I think in more competitive environments, more competitive markets, we think 10 locations with different brands may be a good number to strive for. That will enable you to have enough critical mass to be a one-stop shop for your consumers as far as being a transportation provider. The 10 most common brands cover about 75% of the sales. 
Also with 10 locations, you should be able to sell about 15 to 20,000 new and used vehicles a year. So that gives you a pretty good scale versus the national competitors. The other big thing 10 stores would allow you to do is it allow you to afford to hire some additional specialists. For example, this may be new and used sales trainers. You could hire an F&I trainer. You could hire a fixed ops director, which who would oversee all the parts and service departments in each of your stores. You could also hire a marketing person to handle all the marketing across the group. And then of course you could hire a chief financial officer to handle all the financial and accounting aspects of the business. By hiring these specialists, you will certainly be able to outperform your local dealer competition with one or two stores and it will enable you to compete with the big players across the country. Um, I would just add to that as well, that I think the number is so relative to um, the market and the location. And I think that um, when you look at what is the ideal, there's two ways that I, I, I go about looking at this. How many locations do I have or how much um, volume do I do? And I think you touched on both points there. It's how do you end up um, um, cornering your market? Now in Houston, that's tough. That market is huge. In small town America, that's easy because you can go in there and figure out, I do it the best way I can. And so why would you stop at certain number? Um, and so, I think the um, the realization of first of all, when I think of what's the ideal size, I first of all go to, you know, creating the strategic plan of where where are we going, what are we doing, what's the buy box, what is the uh, the size of the store, the location of the store, and then the brand of the store, and what am I not going to waste my time with with things that just come at me that are you know that is just right field, don't care. Um, and so if I stay to my strategic plan buy box, whether it's eight or, um, sorry about that, getting a football. um, whether it's eight or 20, you know, it, it all falls in line again with exactly where, where I, you are trying to go. So I think it starts with strategically thinking about the, um, you know, buy box about where it is, and then that takes care of itself. And then all the comp competitive me measures that you said against dealing with the, the big players in this thing, there's a plan for it. Um, Champ, if a dealer is consider considering what a sale might look like, how do they test the waters without getting the word out publicly? Actually, I'll start this with Pete. I was about to say, I do not know. So yeah. move <laughs> Pete, same question. Well, a dealer can contact our firm and request evaluation of their business. We regularly enter into confidentiality agreements with dealers and provide an estimate of what we think the, the stores may sell for in a potential sale. These valuations are a great way for us to learn more about a potential client. We learn about the financials. We learn about the real estate. We learn about the business in general. It also allows a potential client to learn about us. 
we not only provide the dealer with data on the valuation and the numbers, but we re- really try to provide an honest opinion of what we think the stores would sell for in a potential sale. I would like to point out that there is absolutely no commitment from a dealer to hire us if they were to sell, although we would hope that they would hire us after going through the valuation process with us. I would also add that this is a really, uh, other than exactly what you just said, I'm trying to think of any other um, um, areas or paths. And, you know, I think the auto industry is such a um, collegial, everybody talks, you get to 20 groups, you do these things, you, you know, um, auto specific accountants work for your competitors or everywhere. And so it's, this is a really hard one, I think, other than doing exactly what you said right there. But I, I think the best course of action is talk to your advisors. Those are the people who know other people in the industry. They know, um, you know, what you're doing. They know the markets that are out there because they work in the auto business. So, um, you know, confidentiality is a, a, a huge thing and it gets busted a lot of the times, but that's your best you know, your attorney, your accountant, uh, just the people that you rely on the most, they're going to have inside information from other people that they work with that could help you out. I'll also point out that, um, you know, CPAs can certainly provide valuations of your business. Typically, they are a little bit more by the book. We'll, We'll try, our firm will try to provide uh, feedback and data that we are receiving in the market every day. So we try to go a little bit less by the book and more about what we're seeing in the market currently. Well, and I don't think there's probably anybody better than, I mean, you know, we're on the, uh, this thing together, but I can toot the horn to, I mean, what I'm saying, cause they might know that's what you guys do every day. Um, talking to people confidentially about uh, who's buying, who's selling, and if it's a good idea to do it. And so, yeah, I don't think it should, you know, that should be the first place to go um, when considering this. And it, and by definition, your job is to cre- keep confidentiality because if you can't be trusted, no one's going to go to you. Exactly. And, so, you know, I think, you know, that that's the uh, pin on the end of the uh, question that was asked there that, you know, both of our jobs, both of our companies, both of what we do is if you breach trust, um, it will be known and um, nobody else, you know, so that it's it's a core principle, I think, of both of our firms. That that's how we have to act. Absolutely. I've gotten a few calls of a dealer not knowing what they wanted to do in terms of sell or stay. Um, one recent was, you know, we got this a big offer, but my son's in the business and he likes the business. So what champ, let's start with you champ. How would you help them or what are some, some insights you could share to a dealer in that similar situation? Um, you know, for us, succession planning is, there are many outcomes of it. 
and I deal with this just like you said, Kendall, every day. And a um, outcome of succession planning, oftentimes, is the best course of action. Our action for our business is to sell it. And um, right now, I think people are never more have I seen that consideration just because of the numbers and it's hard and it is the consolidation that's going on. People are scared. And then you have automated cars, you have the manufacturers. So it's just a, people are making so much money, but it's so challenging when they look at the future that it is, you know, what, what do we do where we go? And so uh, I think from my standpoint, um, if you're working on a business to make it the best that it can be, and when I say that, it is um, by department, by person, by structure, um, you cannot go wrong if the outcome at the end of the day is I'm passing this on to my family and it's the best it's ever been, or I'm giving this to a broker and we're going to put it on the market to sell and we're going to get the highest multiple we're ever going to get. So to me, I think that's where it starts with that um, question is how do we and it's the it's the idea of internal or external growth. And this answer for you is if we can figure out how best we are internally, then the package is going to be the best for any alternative that it would be succession or sell. Pete, why use experts such as a succession planner and a buy-sell brokers versus just leaning on the CPA and attorney? Well, I think it's it's simple. We we specialize in this area of expertise. We are, as a broker, we are in the market every single day talking to buyers and sellers. So we know what the pulse is of the market. We know what stores should sell for. We know who's looking for what type of brands and what geographies, et cetera. Uh, I think, you know, a, a lawyer or a CPA or somebody else who's not doing that every day is, is not going to be able to provide you with the best outcome in the end. We have a database of hundreds and hundreds of buyers that are looking for certain stores and certain areas. And we, we match, we use that to match up buyers and sellers and, the other, the other item I'll point out is the CPAs and lawyers probably, you know, obviously they have a number of clients that they'll, they'll probably present the opportunity to, but may, maybe it's not the, the right fit. And our, our job is finding the right fit to put buyers and sellers together to, to, to get the best outcome for both, both sides. Yeah. And, and I think from my experience, it's hiring people for what they do. And a attorney and a lawyer, I mean, an attorney and an accountant are very specific people for what they do. And what I've run into when um, I've gotten into the uh, experiences where I've seen the uh, attorney also try and be the broker, um, exactly what you said right there, I see occur. They have a limited scope of who they know, what they do, where they're going. Um, this is not what their um, job is on a full-time basis and hiring the professionals to do what they are supposed to do and stay in their lane from my perspective, I think is the best course of action as succession planners. We're not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We're not brokers. Um, you know, I stay in my lane. I know who to 
to uh, call in to get the job done. And I would not be calling in a random attorney to go sell a car dealership. They can go do the legal work, but all of the negotiations, the databases like you were saying, the valuations, the um, back and forth, you know, I, I, it's really an interesting thing when you think about it. You want your accountant to be doing that? I don't think so. And so, you know, I, I think the exactly this conversation goes back to have the best people that you can surrounding you to do what um, is their specialty will be your best outcome. Champ, can you talk about a little bit more about the buy box and even potentially considering the strategy of selling a store in order to grow? Um, yeah, I think the idea of a buy box is to strategically organize what your growth parameters are. And um, it's a process. And when I say it's a process, it's a time frame of sitting down and going, um, you know, I don't know if you want a, a perimeter of how far you'll go from your, you know, main location or uh, by city, um, by sitting down and going, these are the brands that I'm going to focus on. If I get um, this opportunity and it might look really good, it's not what I put in my buy box to go, this is where we're going. And so it takes the distractions off. It's the volume. It's the, um, <laughs> you know, really just trying to um, understand it's the value of it, the price. What can I go get money to go buy for? Um, what banking, you know, it's going through all of those things to put down on a piece of paper or buy box and go, hey, Pete, this is what I'm looking for. If you can, this is where I want to go. Um, to your banker, this is what I've strategically strategically said, I'm going after it fits into my um, estate, my assets, whatever you want to call it. So it, it is getting the people on your team all again, rowing in the same direction, understanding this is where we're going. I'm not, you know, that Porsche store for 12 times multiples looks fantastic in that location. Can't do it. Not going to waste my time on it. And that is, I think the, um, idea of the buy box. And then, you know, the, I am a hundred percent for selling to grow. Um, you can't be successful with all brands at all times in all markets. And if it doesn't work, um, I am all about creating a, this is, um, below whatever our, um, performance thresholds are let it go. I'm taking that distraction away. I am collecting that money because I'm going to go back to my buy box and go, this is where I can be successful with this brand, with these type of people, with this culture. So um, selling to buying is definitely a strategic plan. Part of. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's a absolutely excellent uh, advice for dealers. We deal with buyers all, all the time and the, the the more successful buyers, they have a plan. They have a strategy. If we present an opportunity to somebody without a plan, you, you can tell immediately. They kind of waffle over it. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let me, let's, let's, we'll, we'll work on it. A couple of weeks later, they come back to you. Well, we're not really sure. And then we've also seen buyers buy stores outside of the geography. You could tell it's a little outside of their plan. It's a little bit of a stretch and we've seen them fail. 
they failed. So the, the more successful buyers with a strategy, with a plan, they, they are the best buyers and they're definitely more successful long-term in our opinion. Well, and I, I'm not putting these words in your mouth, but I'm sure when you get the ones who don't have the plan and, and you know, the, where uh, it's um, a struggle because, it, you know, we don't have that much time in this world today to not be trying to be focused on where we're going. And I think, you know, that's what we try to bring to our clients to then have them bring that to you. So this is all a very streamlined, successful approach where while selling to buying is a strategy, who wants to do that? It's a lot of effort, time and money to go and buy a store to begin with. Now, you got to sell one off because it's not working to go buy others. Yeah, but uh, why don't we just buy to continue buying um, I, is, you know, the better strategy with that. Well, I'll, I'll add to that. All the public companies sell to grow. They're constantly selling cats and dogs and buying better stores. So that's definitely a part of all the big public companies. And it, it's basically portfolio management sell the sell the cats and dogs buy the better brands and, and it really helps them move forward well and when you get to um i don't know what that perfect number is well let's just throw out there 10 stores you know 10 store that's a lot of stores if yeah. they're big if they're a big deal that's a lot of people and it's hard when you have 10 plus uh, you know minus to really consider these you know the family stores anymore these really do have to become um more of a public um, mindset with it that they are part of a portfolio and you know while they might be family and they have your name on it um the you know considering it more i think from the public standpoint is a more professional approach to going what does this look like in my portfolio the brands, the size, the people, the location to go, is it working for me or not? And I think that is, you know, that's uh, something that I've taken from the, the publics to, with that mindset to be able to understand that, you know, some, you got to get rid of it to get better sometimes. Pete, what would you share with dealers who are considering an exit um, to maximize their life's work? Great question. It is certainly an interesting time in our industry. Profitability is at record highs and it is a great time to sell. There are lots of aggressive buyers still out there looking to add stores to their groups, including all the public consolidators. If you'd like to see what your stores are potentially worth, reach out to us and let us let us do a valuation. Not only will we give you the numbers as far as the valuation, we'll give you an honest opinion of what we think they would sell for. We also can help you point out deficiencies in your stores if in areas of opportunity. So if we notice that your F&I department, for example, is below what we normally see, we can point that out to you. If you decided to keep your stores, maybe you focus on that in the future. Another example would be something related to your real estate situation. Maybe we could help you recommend adding CapEx to a particular store to make the sale more beneficial to a buyer in the future. So we can point out high level things like that, that we see, but if you really want to dive in 
deeply, I would recommend talking to the Rawls group. They're, they're the experts that can help you formulate a plan and dive into the future. Yeah, and I, I, I uh, thanks for that um, segue over, but I, I would um, agree. I, I think there are so many good tools out there, like you're saying, utilizing you guys, you know, uh, uh, looking at our, our website, we have tools to do an assessment to go, you know, basically where you're at to where you want to be. And the biggest thing that I'm sure you can um you know, agree with me on here, I hope you'll agree with me, is what's your multiple and how do you get it as high as possible? And, you know, when somebody comes and looks at your organization like you guys would do um, at the onset, um, you know, what's your management team look like? What are your, uh, how are you functioning in F&I or in, you know, those are the things that um, buyers want to see. They're going to look at your financial statement. They're going to break down your departments. They're going to look at who are the people they're buying. And so um, understanding that if you are at half of what the, the, the going rate for multiples on Blue Sky is out there because of X, let's create a plan to deal with it. And go to the market and um, present yourself to you know, Pete and the firm here and go, you know, look what we did. Now let's go. And um, the whole purpose, again, behind, I think, uh, buying is uh, what's your mission statement again? Maximize the value of your life's work. Exactly. And how do we get it as high as possible to, um, you know, drive that that um, sell, sale price and um you know, I think that is that, you know, that's not my mission statement, but I can certainly buy into it because that's what we like to do every day. How do we um, make people better? And if at, if at the end of the day, it's to sell for the most possible, then we can all celebrate because that was a maximization of um, a legacy somebody put out there. Pete, what would you say to dealers about um what to do and how to plan during this unsure economic environment? I think it's probably operationally just getting back to the basics. We've, we've seen some dealers getting a little bit nervous about used vehicles right now as uh, the Mannheim index comes back slightly. Uh, I think, it's, again, it's getting back to the basics, not, not going out and buying every single vehicle you see on the street, maybe scale scale back your, your purchases and your trades on the used side, getting back to the basics on training and processes across all of your departments. And that should essentially get you through any tough times in the long term. I would add to that um, a different way, I guess, to say get back to the basics for me would be um, discipline. And, um, you know, it's the same, I think, mindset, but it, it also is discipline to, um, you know, the, uh, I think um, what you were saying there is what I see going on so much right now. We've, it, you know, the world turned upside down, people having to distance them. I mean, total opposite of the car business, what we've been through, which is customer, customer, customer in your face, in your store everything's been turned upside down with distancing and online and this and that and low um, 
um, inventory and incredible prices and making tons of money. And so the utter degradation of the processes is crazy. And, um, you know, I think to our discussion, the people who will be buying are the ones who cannot figure out how to be disciplined or get back to the basics. And the people that I'm recommending to go buy them are the ones who are committed to the basics and are disciplined. And it's the standard operating procedures. It's the professionalism. And if you can get that um, coming out of this strange economic times, you are going to be way more well positioned to gobble up the stores that just couldn't figure it out. And it was too hard. And they're looking to, um, you know, maximize their, their selling potential right now because just the values and more power to them. Um, but I think that is the back to the basics, discipline, all those cliche things matter right now more than anything. Future-proofing your business allows you to create more control over the future you envision. By proactively addressing possible, probable, and potential issues, you create many options at your fingertips. 